Opinion Battlegrounds with Terence Fane Saunders, brought to you by Chelgate, International Strategic Issues Management Consultants. Welcome to Opinion Battlegrounds. My name is Terence Fane Saunders and I'm Chairman of Chelgate, a public relations, public affairs and issues management consultancy. And sitting with me today to join in the discussions about the Opinion Battleground are Drew Manns, Dr. Drew Manns, who brings here both extraordinary knowledge of, of propaganda over the last, what, two, three hundred years. Your doctorate, I think, studied, Drew, didn't it? But even more valuable, uh, Drew brings with him the transatlantic perspective, as you'll tell by his voice when I allow him to speak. Um, so, Drew, it's great having you with us. Great to be here. Also with us is Jamie, Jamie Moncton. Jamie is an expert, another expert in the field of propaganda and persuasion, and has worked his magic in some of the most violently contested battlegrounds, real battlegrounds, in the world today. Jamie, you are in another dangerous environment tonight. Thanks for being here. Looking forward to it, my pleasure. So welcome to Opinion Battlegrounds. In this age of fake facts, bots, trolls, and manufactured outrage, we're going to be discussing the battle for your opinion. We'll be talking about some of the biggest recent controversies and discussing how the players on each side have pitched their case. We won't be talking about who was right and who was wrong. It doesn't matter whose opinion we agree with or disagree with or which way we vote or what our own inclinations and biases are. What we're interested in is the art of persuasion. Who understands it? Who doesn't? Was there a particularly brilliant piece of communication or persuasion over the past few days? Did someone star in an interview or give a great speech? Did they whip up a happy mob of support for their viewers on Twitter? Let's hear it for them. But let's point fingers too. If you've bombed, if you've given a disastrous interview, bombed in a debate, earned derision for a public statement, made a fool of yourself on social media, well, the pain's not over. Here at Opinion Battlegrounds, we're going to be digging into the entrails of your horrible failure and shining a cruel light on just how you messed up. It's my own view that one side effect of social media is that people have actually forgotten the art of persuasion. There's no better example than Brexit. To persuade someone to change their viewpoint, it usually helps to establish some common ground. But in the Brexit debate, both sides crouch behind their barricades, howling insults at each other. That's hardly the way to win converts. But this seems to be the way with almost every public debate these days. Invective has replaced persuasion. Opinions are more entrenched than ever. And that can't be a good thing. So, unavoidably, I'm afraid. We're talking about Prince Andrew's interview. Although there may not be much left to be said. Uh, what a disaster. We'll see. And we'll be talking about the leaders' debate. Who won? The pundits and the opinion polls suggest it was neck and neck. I'm not so sure. And I want to touch briefly on whether we are becoming American. This will be over to Drew. By that, I mean, have our politics moved to presidential politics? Are we focusing more and more on personality and less and less on policy? And there'll be some who suggest we are. My own view is I hope very much we're not. 
But first of all, chaps, let's start with the debate, uh, which is more cheerful than perhaps Prince Andrew. Who won the debate? Jamie. I don't actually think there was a clear winner at all, in my opinion. I think the debate on the whole fell flat. I don't think there was a clear winner. However, if you look at the statistics, the Conservatives went in with a, with a significant lead, but they've now come out only two percentage points in front of Labour, which is within the margin of statistical error. So if you're thinking statistically, you could say that actually Labour have gained ground because the Conservatives have lost ground, so they could have Hang won. on, there the, are the, the polls showing that the Tories are down to a 2% lead? Yeah, well, 51% uh, to 49 concert, uh, Conservatives. Oh, no, you're talking about the reaction the to reaction, the debate. The reaction oh. to the debate, yeah. Well, I mean, the that's, that's, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because, because that's a measure of public sentiment. To me, to me, that says that actually Corbyn won the debate because yes. the opinion polls are showing that you know, Boris has a lead of whatever it is, 20% on personal mm. ratings above Corbyn. For Corbyn to finish neck and neck, he must have swung a significant proportion of Boris supporters over to his side. And to finish neck and neck, to me, that is, mm. yeah, I agree, a victory. I mean, Drew, what do you think? I completely agree. In fact, it was the, J the Japan Times called it a significant turnaround, considering the fact that Ipsos, so according to Ipsos Mori, Corbyn went into the election campaign with a net satisfaction rating of negative 60, which was actually the lowest comparable score since the company started tracking ratings in 1979. So certainly we would have to say that uh, it was a win for, for Corbyn. Although let's, let's remember that <laughs> Boris similarly is either the or one of the most unpopular new uh, prime ministers ever in the history of new prime ministers. That's right. Uh, so there's this wonderful battle of who can be the most unpopular, I, I, I think. I also think the matter of winning or losing the debate, it's not as final as the debate's over, there's an hour, it's done. It's sort of the 12-hour period thereafter which has influenced the, the winner of the debate itself. And you've got things like the Fact Check UK, which completely undermined any sort of positiveness that uh, Boris managed to, to get across. In the I world. hope they're going to fire the idiot responsible for Fact Check UK. Maybe in Carrie Simmons, though, so <laughs> don't, don't see uh... <laughs> Well, there could be a little bit of a domestic bust-up in that case, but yeah, for exactly. God's sake, I mean... And, and the, the fact is the Tories know that they screwed up because they changed it straight back again. And they're waffling around pretending, oh, it, we, it was clear that we're just trying to clarify the facts or something. Garbage. It was a stupid, naive mistake. Mm -hmm. And whoever was responsible for that mistake, they should be held over a hot grill for a while. Agreed. You know, I mean, it was appalling. Um, and, it, and it messed up, as you say, it messed up some of the aspects of the debate, it, it, because it wasn't within the debate, and yet it complicated the yeah. debate. And Rob's defence of it was, was shocking. And I think one of the issues for Boris going into the debate was the public perception of him being untrustworthy as a mm. human being, and therefore as a candidate. Uh, and all this has done is exacerbated that, that previous bias. That's, Which is just it's ludicrous in, in modern politics to do that. So now everybody, everybody's been talking uh, a lot about the same things that we were talking about, of, of sort of who won, who lost, or whatever. But yeah. our job is really to also look at why and what. Much of the time, and I, I, I want to touch on this briefly in a different context, but much of the time I moan that people go into these situations underprepared. Mm. I would suggest that Boris went into this situation overprepared. Um, there was, that was, 
a significant difference, it seems to me, between the two personalities. You listen to Corbyn. Most of his answers seemed at least founded on a philosophy of life. His, mm. it, it seemed to they seemed to spring from a view of, of what mattered about poverty, about the health service, about education or whatever. There was a consistent sense of a man with opinions and views. When you listen to Boris, it sounded to me like a man who had been told by his minders to turn the debate back to Brexit at every possible opportunity. And people say that he's a, a brilliant debater and spontaneous. I thought he was leaden-footed, slow and awkward. And, you know, an example, for example, was when they were asked what Christmas gifts they would give to each other, I thought Corbyn responded rather nicely. You know, <laughs> Oliver Twist, let, let's, <laughs> let's remind uh, Boris what, what Scrooge yeah. is really, you know, all about. And it was, it was kind of witty and, and quick and, and, yeah. and responsive. You saw Boris reaching around and he'd been told, don't just give a political answer. And he sort of thought and he thought and he said, oh, right, I suppose, right. yes, give him a copy of, 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 of the agreement I reached on Brexit. And I thought... Mm. Oh, my God. You know, he's been told by his minders, get it back to Brexit, whatever. Even mm. Christmas gifts, get it back to Brexit. It didn't work. And, and then he started waffling on about damson jam, for God's I sake. I mean, Corbyn at least seemed to be basing his responses on something he believed in. There was no moment when I think Boris managed to communicate that he believed in something. And I would suggest as professionals, that we would be saying to our clients, prepare, but don't over-prepare. Be flexible, be able to respond to things as they arise. Mm. I felt he was trapped by the advice he'd been given. He were, I think he was also, he was overly reliant on his notes. He spent a lot of the interview, if we're just talking about a performance value, mm. Boris was always looking down at his notes and then responding, not always, that's mm. an exaggeration, but a lot of the time. Uh, and what that gives to an audience is a sense of, us and them, it's a psychological principle of us and them. So he, Boris was speaking at people. Whereas mm. with Jeremy, as you rightly mentioned, he spoke about philosophy and true belief. He wasn't reliant on his notes. So oh, well, you see, that's where his minders moved in and they equipped yeah. him with a pair of glasses, which made it impossible <laughs> yeah. to read any notes anywhere at all. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's really mastered the, the grandfatherly approach. Yeah, and in terms of showmanship, it's very, very... Uh, persuasive. Yeah. So I think in, in a certain sense, when we talk about the art of persuasion, a, a large part of that is also the art of presentation. And Absolutely. I think Corbin has this very great way of, of connecting. He's dyeing his hair great for sure. Yes. <laughs> there was a, actually, before he prepared for the debate, he actually had a haircut and he was, uh, he was tweeting about that. Really? He posted a snapshot of oh, a haircut and he said he was eating a Caesar salad. And, uh... But it was interesting. <laughs> We're going to touch in a gloomy way on, on Prince Andrew in a minute. Uh, but the monarchy obviously came up as, a, as an item. And again, there I thought we saw the difference. Um, mm. You may agree or disagree with the way he responded, but I was actually rather impressed by the speed and the uh, relaxed way that Corbyn responded to a tricky question uh, about what he felt was the situation of the monarchy now, where he said, it needs a bit of improvement. Not strong enough to really offend the, the monarchists, but also uh, critical enough to appeal to uh, those who actually are not very pleased with what's happening. There I thought Johnson also uh, was once again struggling a little bit and his, the way he responded 
was a valid way in, uh, to a degree in that he tried to differentiate between the monarchy and the institution. Yeah. And mm. he said, the institution is beyond reproach. Well, the trouble is the next day's headlines didn't say that he'd said the institution. He just said the monarchy was beyond reproach. And there was Boris trying to be too intelligent or being too intelligent and not understanding that mass media doesn't work that way. Absolutely. And those fine distinctions won't work in a big debate of that sort. And I think, again, his, his instinctive reaction wasn't right for that debate. And I think that's why, uh, really, Corbyn won the debate. I don't think it was a, a knockout blow. I don't think it's made a huge difference to the election. But I think, yeah, uh, but I well mean, done, Mr. Corbyn. Yeah, and it's put Boris in a, in a bit of a spot of bother. Just, you know, today, Prince Andrew, well, last night, actually, Prince Andrew announcing that he's retiring from public duties. So some of the press today are saying, well, see, Boris was wrong and Corbyn was right. So it's, you know, it's, it's affected how, how it's uh, uh, perceived today. Well, let's turn on to the joyful uh, topic of, of, of Prince Andrew. <clears throat> ah, yes, I've been tweeting, I admit, rather a lot about it. And I did the other day uh, tell Prince Andrew that, and tell the royal family that really there was only one answer, that he had to step back from public life, that he had to issue a statement uh, apologising, expressing regret uh, uh, over the way he'd handle things, that he had to uh, show his sympathy for the victims. And, and I'm glad to see that he appears to have listened. <laughs> but what a mistake in the first place, Traps, don't you think? I mean, for God's sake, what the heck was he playing at? I think that, well, we, we did hear that his, uh, beforehand, his public relations manager, I think, resigned. It was two weeks. Yes. Yeah, completely disagreed with revealing all of this information. I think with, in a case like this, if you're going to make a, if you're a, a member of the royal family, you've got to really get your facts straight. Uh, otherwise, it will just always, I think, if you look back to Diana or any of these other controversies that have happened over the past, there's really never been... Um, an interview of this kind that has had has played that's played out uh, well for the for the royals afterwards is really it's really never happened. Mm. Um, so it's just very curious that uh, he decided to go go through with it. I think it's hugely arrogant. You know, he had a reputation of being being quite arrogant and going against the advice of his his key uh, members of his court. I think this is just exhibit A of, of many exhibits of, of Prince Andrew doing exactly what he wants, thinking he knows best. Uh, and essentially, he's been outsmarted by uh, the British population, who've you know reacted to it, um, obviously quite strongly and rightly, because how he actually performed in the interview was abysmal. It was completely shocking, complete lack of empathy, complete lack of understanding of facts. He contradicted contradicted himself a number of times. Mm. It was a shocking performance. But apparently, yet again, he came out going to his mother, uh, to Her Majesty, and saying, "I did very well. I think you know, I think I nailed that." Oh, that's what we all say. <laughs> you know, how did you do, dear? Oh, I did very well. <laughs> but yeah. but I'll, I'll tell you the other thing, though, that is happening, which is what happens with serious uh, issues like this when, when a scandal breaks, is you get the secondary reverberations. So you get all of this, and this will continue for a while, and there'll be uh, further legal issues. But suddenly people start coming forward, 
uh, virtue signaling to some degree to show that they are very different and have higher standards and so on. And news stories start popping up from slightly different angles. So you have people like the former Home Secretary, Jackie Smith, very irritating person, but um, she now comes forward and says, oh yes, when I was Home Secretary, uh, there was a reception, uh, royal reception given for the Saudis, and I was so shocked because Prince Andrew started making jokes about camels and, 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 and Arabs, and, and this was all very, well now, you know, years have passed since this took place. She was Home Secretary at the time. Rather than sitting on it until now, you'd think that she might if she was a competent Home Secretary, have quietly moved in on the young man and said, stop it <laughs> and shut him up. Stop it, sir, perhaps, yeah. and shut him up. Yeah. But she's sat on it, now it's coming out. Everybody else is reaching into their little bag of stories to see what they can come up with now about Andrew. Worse, and you get this in these issues, there will be, and this is where it's really difficult, people will come forward who have claims or stories where they will claim bad things have happened, that they have experienced bad things, that they have been victims. Now, we're not in a position, and I'm not in a position to make any judgment about what Prince Andrew may or may not have done, or the truth or otherwise of these allegations. What is worrying in, 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 the, in the area that we all work in is that where something like this crops up, the fact is, and we've had clients that this has happened to, the fact is that people know that if they come forward for a start, we had a client who was being offered for their version of a story, 75,000 pounds by one newspaper, just to give their version of a story. People know that regardless of whatever damages they may get in court or whatever, for a start, they will get payments from the media. Secondly, they may get damages, even if actually they weren't victims, because sometimes it's easier just to settle uh, than to battle the way, the way through court and the court of public opinion. It makes it very, very messy, and I'm afraid Andrew has possibly years ahead of him where others are going to be moving forward. Some may be fraud, some may be genuine. Who knows? But it's what lies ahead of him, I'm afraid. I think it's just it's indicative of, of the modern information environment. People these days are only willing to come forward with, with new allegations and accusations once the court of public opinion is in their favour. And the way you get that sort of litmus test is by social media monitoring and all these sorts of tools. And it was very, very easy to see that the court of public opinion was against uh, Prince Andrew. And so I think for at least another year or two years, you're going to have people coming up and saying, you know, this happened, this happened. Uh, and they know that they won't be vilified by the public. And actually, they'll probably be praised unless they're proven wrong in their allegations. I think this is an incredibly serious blow to the royal family, but I don't think it's a fatal blow, actually. I think that Prince Andrew has never really been seen as central, that important, that loved, uh, that crucial to the image of the royal family. And yes, it creates an opportunity for people who want to give it a bit of a kicking to give the monarchy a bit of a kicking. Uh, I think that they will survive this possibly better than they will survive Meghan Markle. If she continues to try and adjust their approach to PR, to be about celebrity PR management. The royal family is not suited to the form of PR and media relations which works for Hollywood celebrities. It operates under different rules. And 
you don't see the Queen conducting herself the way that a leading film star in Hollywood be, might be conducting themselves. If Meghan Markle persuades the royal family to shift to her form of showbiz PR, where you reveal little bits of your new baby to the camera, you know, at different days to tease the public or whatever, um, I think that could start undermining the royal family in a much more serious way. But, I, but as we talk about America, and I wanted to touch on this, let's talk about celebrity. I think we have a situation where we are moving towards celebrity uh, uh, becoming vital in our politics. It astonishes me, and I find it fascinating, that we have in the UK and the US right now two political leaders, both of whom are riddled with flaws, with apparent flaws, in any case, where the, they have said things and apparently done things which in the past would have brought down any political leader. And yet, they march on with tremendous public support and backing. And it reminds me of years ago when I was sitting in a restaurant in New York, Drew. O.J. Simpson came into that restaurant he had just lost a civil case which had found that he was responsible for the death of his ex-wife and her friend. And he came into the restaurant and everybody clapped. They clapped not because they thought, oh, wasn't he a great sportsman? They clapped not because they thought, oh, what bad luck he was caught being responsible for the death of his ex-wife. They clapped because he was a celebrity. People adore celebrity. They, and in the past, that's been more true of the United States than the UK. I'm beginning to think we're moving that way. And does it mean that when people are pitching for politics or actually pitching for their companies, that company chairman, should they be more visible, more at the head of the organization? Um, and I'm going to talk about Joe Swinson in the moment and what she's <laughs> done to the Lib Dems. But are we changing and should we be changing? Hmm. That's a difficult question because the, I think the, particularly from the American standpoint, uh, we have a very very deep tradition of sort of showmans of like traveling preachers, sort of populist tradition, where you would get these very very charismatic individuals to go around and sort of persuade masses of people to do different things. And I think we don't, as I understand, we we never really had anything like that in in the UK or. Um, but I think, to a certain extent, it is. We are now in a kind of age of of, of Loki. It's sort of a tricksterish age, uh, and it's and it it sort of it started it started in the states, and it's kind of like a virus. It's slowly, slowly, slowly going to going to the UK. Your and, foul uh, virus is spreading yeah, over uh, the Atlantic, <laughs> Drew. Yeah, it's, 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 and everything. It's it's really really interesting to watch. Shocking. I think it's about balance, though. I think some of the some of the lessons we can learn from Trump, like charisma, um, even political gaffes, they make him more engaging to the population, which make people, generally speaking, more likely to vote for him. And that's what Boris is doing to some extent. He's, mm. he's got charisma, he's got personality. He, he makes fun of himself, whether it's falling down in the mud on purpose for tug-of-war competitions and, and whatever it is. He understands that element of, of being human and that engaging with the audience. Where I think Joe Swinson's got it wrong, and I know you're going to talk about this in a bit, Terence, is that she's putting herself uh, out there as the celebrity, right. not the party, uh, well, and it needs to be reversed. Exactly right. I think it's been a, a big mistake. I mean, there was the YouGov poll published in the Times recently, which showed that 
the more the public see of her, the less they like her. Yeah. And the Lib Dems have decided uh, to take the presidential route. And I think that was a big mistake. At least mm. it might have worked if she was a star, but I'm afraid she's not a star. And you look at the Lib Dems battle bus, you would not believe what you're seeing. It isn't Lib Dems, it's Joe Swinson's Lib Dems with a great big picture of Joe. Now, if you're not a fan of Joe, that you, <laughs> it's not exactly appealing, even if you're inclined to vote Lib Dem. It's now become Joe Swinson's Lib Dems. Why is it not my Lib Dems if I'm a voter? Why is it Joe Swinson's? I think they made a, a serious strategic error there, and, and I think that at this stage in the UK, we've not totally given way to the idea of celebrity, or if we have, you better damn well make sure that celebrity is a pretty good and attractive celebrity. I'm afraid she's I have nothing big. against Joe Swinson. I'm sure she's a lovely person. But in terms of how she comes over publicly, she's not coming over well, and the Lib Dems have gambled on her being brilliant. She's not. It's been fun. We're very glad that you were able to join us for this, for this event this evening and our, our arguments. And in particular, I'd like to thank my two patient and kindly colleagues here, Drew and Jamie. And thank you for your thoughts and, and your perspectives on, on these strange and difficult matters which we're wading through these days. Pleasure, looking forward to the next one. It's been great. And we're going to be back every two weeks and we'll look forward to joining you again then. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for listening to Opinion Battlegrounds. Please subscribe to receive the latest episodes and you can follow us on Twitter at Chelgate or email contact at chelgate.com.